Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to the Truth and Liberty Livecast. My name is Mark Coward. I'm setting in for Andrew Womack tonight. And we have got an awesome program for you. It is going to be powerful. We have with us a very special friend, special guest, Derek Wilburn. I am. Been knowing you a lot of years, Derek. It's getting kind of scary. <laughs> okay, it's getting kind of scary. <laughs> and we'll, we'll give you a more proper introduction here in just a minute. Okay. But we've got, Richard, some awesome things coming up yeah. and some housekeeping items. So Absolutely. we'll let you share those with us. All right. Thank you, Mark. It's good to have you with us, Derek. Uh, yeah, folks, so thanks for tuning in tonight. And I wanted to remind everybody about our resources page on Truth and Liberty's website at truthandliberty.net. Go to the Research Center and then resources and you can find uh, material and uh, and stuff on there that will get you equipped for just about every issue we are facing in the culture today. A couple of latest ones added is uh, Cultural Research Center's American Values Study on the midterm elections. You'll want to check that out, which will help you understand what happened in those midterms. And then um, also Citizens for Renewing America, Combating Critical Race Theory in Your Community. And also we just loaded some resources from Rocky Mountain Black Conservatives with Derek Wilburn's uh, organization tonight. We'll be talking about those later, so be sure to check that out. Speaking of events, so the Heart of Christmas, we just held it here at Andrew Womack Ministries uh, last week. It was a huge success. What a wonderful show. Uh, coming up this weekend, The Living Nativity, December 16th through the 18th. It's free of charge. It's a drive-through experience where you can see, uh, you know, the manger scene and uh, live horses and camels and donkeys and cows, and the campus is lit up with Christmas lights, so it's a wonderful thing to do for the whole family. Come check that out. Right around the corner, January 5th through the 7th, is Andrew's Gospel Truth Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. And he's going to be ministering along with the one and only Lance Wallnow. So if you can make it out for that, you need to. It's in Phoenix. Just go to awmi.net slash events and you can find information and register. The Orlando Gospel Truth Conference is right around the corner as well, February 9th. Who doesn't want to be in Orlando in February, right? So uh, Andrew's going to be ministering there with Ashley and Carly Teradez. That's going to be a great event. Love those folks. Uh, again, awmi.net slash events. And then it's not too soon to begin making plans for the men's advance. March 9th through the 11th here on campus uh, at Karis Bible College. And Tony Dungy and James J.B. Brown are going to be back along with Andrew and our very own CEO, Billy Epperhart. So that's a great time for the guys and men to come out and get recharged and refired. Uh, listen, every week here on the program, we do a free product giveaway for everyone who's a new, not for everyone, but you're eligible to receive if you're a new uh, subscriber. So if you haven't subscribed,
subscribe today to Truth and Liberty, I really want to encourage you to do that. I believe that Truth and Liberty's emails are some of the most valuable and useful anywhere. And if you'll just share your email address, we'll be sure to send those out to you uh, with everything from action alerts to blogs to uh, uh, news links and other things like that that can help you be an advocate for truth in the public square. This uh, last week we gave away uh, living in the balance of grace and faith. And I want to congratulate you, Dan Miller, on that. You should be getting an email soon, Dan, on how you can claim that free gift. This week we're giving away Andrew's book, How to Find, Follow, and Fulfill God's Will. This is an awesome book, guys. I promise you this is one of Andrew's most important uh, books in my judgment. Uh, if you're struggling to find God's will in your life or wondering what you're uh, called to do, then you need to get that book. And, and uh, be sure to subscribe, be eligible to receive a free copy. Um, also, it's an interactive live cast tonight. If you've got questions for Pastor Mark or Derek or even for me, uh, put those in the chat uh, section there on our website or the comment section on Facebook, and we'll do our very best to get to those. Wanted to mention that at Truth and Liberty, uh, we have big plans for 2023. Let me tell you, we are still working our program to transform Colorado. We're also expanding our show, Andrew mentioned, to five days a week. Pastor Mark, you ready for that? We're ready. And uh, wow. so if you want to be a part of turning this nation back to God, there's no better place to invest your seed than in truth and liberty. So just go on our website to donate and you can sign up to be a member by, by making a recurring automatic gift of just $5 or more per month and you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. Remember, uh, gifts to Truth and Liberty Coalition are not tax deductible. If you want to give to the foundation, uh, you can go to awmi.net slash TLF and your tax gifts there will help Truth and Liberty and they will be tax deductible. So uh, thanks for your generosity. Last thing I want to mention real quick here is if you need prayer tonight, no matter what it is, maybe it's family, maybe it's finances, maybe it's salvation, maybe you don't know the Lord, whatever your need might be or family or friends or anything, just call into our phone center. There are trained, spirit-filled, uh, room full of prayer ministers waiting to agree with you before the Lord. That number is 719-635-1111. All right, Pastor Mark, back to you. Awesome. A lot of great things going on. Amen. And, uh, you know, tonight I feel like, guys, it's going to be the fastest hour we've had in a while. Um, Derek, we've known each other a lot of years, and I remember when you first started the Rocky Mountain Black Tea Party, yep. which has become the Rocky Mountain Black Conservative Party. And I've just watched over the last several years, in fact, you were teaching for us, I believe, today in the practical government. Correct, today and tomorrow. And, uh, but I've watched the Lord just raise you up and thrust you out in some areas. Rather than me reading your resume, so to speak, <laughs> okay. why don't you tell us a little bit what's going on in your world? Uh, tell us a little bit about Rocky Mountain Black Conservatives, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. I am going to do something that hosts of these shows absolutely hate, and I'm going to throw you a curveball. In fact, I've hosted these shows, and I hate when my guests do what I'm about to do. <laughs> Uh, and I will get to my bio and who I am, but I, I don't know that that's as important as what, giving the glory where it needs to be given. And you just mentioned something, Richard, that's, uh, so when you write a lot, and I write a lot in various different blogs, and uh, I've written for Daily Caller, American Thinker, and Breitbart, and all that stuff. And you get hate mail when you write. And you just mentioned something about the living nativity scene coming up, mm. which caused me to recall one of the columns I wrote that I got the most heat from Christians from. And the title of that one was, Jesus Was Not Poor. I think you might have read that. This is years ago. I wrote a column called Jesus is Not Poor. And the genesis of this was whenever you see living nativity scenes, whenever you see um, Christmas scenes and what have you, we have this concept in our mind that Christ was a pauper. And it, it, it's, it's founded in, in this idea that there were three wise men. And you always see the three wise men, right? 
And I got the revelation that, you know, the Word of God doesn't say three wise men. It just says the king dispatched wise men. Whether there were three or 30 or 300, we don't know. But the king dispatched these guys, and these brothers showed up with gold and frankincense and myrrh. You ever check the price of frankincense, even to this day? You know how expensive that stuff is? These guys showed up, who knows how many of them there were, at the birthplace of Christ, bearing gifts from the king. There may have been three of them, there may have been 3,000 of them, mm. but Jesus began his life and ministry. Mary and Joseph hit the lottery when Jesus was born. But people don't like to think about that. For some reason we have this thing in our mind that Jesus was poor and all he had was the dust underneath his sandals. Well, that's not true. So anyway. Well, well, you know what, we could get off on that, but Peter Daniels commissioned a study. Yeah. And it was a quite an expensive one and I have a copy of it. And he researched and had someone research. And the fact of it is it blows apart a lot of things, which can play into what we're going to talk about tonight. Mm. Fact of it was, it was a significant amount of money if you study the protocol for kings. And so what we find is a lot of things that we have in our minds about what the church should be, who Jesus was, they just get blown up when you get into truth and fact exactly. about that. Mm -hmm. One of the things I love about you, Terry, because I've had you recently, you and Pastor Calvin Johnson at the Culture <laughs> Impact Team, and it seemed we created no small stir with that, but you blow up a lot of things about race mm -hmm. and uh, CRT and the woke thing and all that kind of stuff. And I love it because you speak with the real freedom. You know, I'm, there's a lot of people out there that when they talk about issues that we may get into tonight, it's a very, uh, it's almost like there's so much anger behind it. Right. But you right. started Rocky Mountain Black Conservatives, and I've got to admit, you know, you and Pastor Calvin, both African American, black. I mean, you said some stuff that I'm just like, wow, uh, pretty awesome. But what's going on with uh, Rocky Mountain Black Conservatives now? What are some of the things that you're kind of on the forefront of? We started in my backyard, um, having small meetings with a handful of people from Church for All Nations, brothers and sisters of color, who wanted to either already were conservatives themselves or said, hey, you know, I have an open enough mind. Let's find out what these candidates and politicians are all about. Mm. And that grew from my backyard. We outgrew my backyard. So pretty soon I had to rent a hall. And then uh, we expanded and opened a chapter in Denver. And then we opened a chapter in Phoenix. And next thing you know, I'd started a thing. Didn't want it, wasn't looking at it, wasn't looking for it. Uh, I was just in the right place at the right time with the right message. Sometimes the man, the moment and the message come together in the same place at the same time, God blows on it and away we go. I wasn't looking to become a political activist. I wasn't interested in any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just the way that it happened. Uh, our current and most prevalent project is the POCC interns program. So uh, I hope viewers someday will go to our website. It's POCCinterns.com. We now take black American college students from all around this country, literally from coast to coast. Our last intern class, we had a student from Cal State Fullerton, and we had one from St. John's in New York City. Right. and all points in between. We recruit and hire these young people and send them to Washington, D.C. to work in paid internships. The internship itself is paid. We pay their airfare to and from, and we pay their housing on top of that. Because the, the, the bottom line is most internships in Washington, D.C. tend to go to the privileged. It's just, it, it's so expensive. I mean, mm -hmm. you go to Washington, D.C., you know, $16.95 for a grilled cheese sandwich and french fries, let alone someplace to sleep at night. Right, so most of these internships are going to kids whose mom and dad can stroke a check. So we pay for all that stuff, and we send these young black American minds to Washington, D.C. to see, learn, and experience our system of self-governance, 
and we send them to intern in conservative legislative offices. So they see with their own eyes and with their own hands feel and with their own ears hear the truth about who conservatives are, what they believe, and then they can make up their own decisions as to whether or not this is something that I should support or should not. So that's our biggest project right now. Now, that was the one that actually I watched Fox News cover that. Is that correct? That what, is correct. What are some of, is there a testimonial or something that stands out in your mind from some of the interns, the impact that it's had on their life? Yeah, there's that, the answer to that question is real simple. We have interns get offered jobs, get hired happens every time. So I think off this last internship session, which ended in, in July, is a summertime internship program, we had two of our interns get hired. So they flew to Washington, D.C., liberal college students from HBCUs, a lot of them, and they came home with a job going to work for a conservative legislator. We had one who literally interned for the summer for Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida. Oh, wow, great. Flew home packed a U-Haul, moved back to Washington, D.C., and works for him to this very day. Wow. That's fantastic. There's a testimony for yeah. you. And that happens more times than a few. But at the very least, their eyes get open to the fact that what I'm being told by the liberal media establishment, by the liberal education establishment, and the truth aren't the same thing. Mm. And what everybody wishes we had, what I wish we had, is a magic wand. And we can wave it and just poof, four million people, four million black Americans all of a sudden realize, hey, the Republicans aren't as bad as I thought they were. But I don't have that magic wand. The only way to do it is one at a time. Mm. And that's exactly what that internship program does. So we're getting 19-year-olds and we're getting black Americans in one fell swoop. Well, you know, Derek, one of the things I appreciate about you the most, and maybe you can help us with this, and that is the mindset among blacks among African-Americans. This is what goes on in the body of Christ. So, you know, I've been tagged as being, oh, that guy that talks about politics. I'm the political preacher. And I, I tell the church, I say, well, the last time I checked, abortion, that is a morality issue. Uh, when you talk about sexuality, that's a Bible issue. Mm -hmm. It happens to reach into politics, but then I get tagged as political. And so I've watched a lot of dynamics in Church for All Nations. And so a lot of times people look, and I have a dear uh, black brother that held his Bible up, and he, much like you, I don't know how you can vote Democrat when you believe this book because the platform removed God. That mm -hmm. was an official yeah. deal. Yeah. And it is the platform of death, per se, and all that kind of stuff. Help us with the mindset and how God has been using you in that arena. Uh, my personal testimony, I'll give it real short, is very simple. I was uh, a liberal registered Democrat most of my life until I met my girlfriend, now my wife, um, and she led me to a conversion to Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the uh, early 1990s. And given the course of time, I voted for Bill Clinton in his first election. I sat his second election out because I was not far enough along that I could vote for Mondale. I think yeah, it was Mondale that year. and I couldn't vote for Clinton. So I kind of reached the point of understanding what you're saying. I kind of reached the point of understanding, look, what I profess to believe on Sunday and what I'm voting for on Tuesday don't align. Mm. And since the Word of God says that in Him there is no change, if there's going to be anything that changes here, it needs to be me. Mm. And that was my journey to being a conservative, which what does that have to do with skin color? I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre. But you touch on something really important, uh, and that is the morality and the code of morality that we see and that we live as biblical Christians. And that's true of our country. So you hear people all the time say things like, well, you can't legislate morality. Wrong. 
In fact, that's exactly what our laws do. So the reason we have a legal structure is to put in place a punitive system for immoral behavior. It is first an immoral act mm -hmm. to take somebody else's property. Therefore, it is against the law, not the other way around. It is first an immoral act to take somebody else's life, not the other way around, but it is illegal because it's immoral. And we have a system of law in place to establish a punitive structure so people know if I choose to engage in this immoral behavior, this is the penalty for having done that. Now, specifically to your question about the black community and how we vote and what have you, we've got a, a video queued up, I think, that we're going to show here in a couple of minutes. One of the the, the, the way that the Democrat Party messages to black Americans is, is abominable. It is, it's, it's pathetic. It is almost all emotion. It is almost all racism. Their racism, their racists, you can't support racism, 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 racism. Very seldom do you hear discussions about fiscal policy, foreign policy, or the things that matter in the weeds of legislation. It's all racism, and that's an emotional plea, but the bottom line is emotion works, right? Logic very seldom overcomes emotion. And there was a, 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 a Senate race in the state of Kentucky, Senator Rand Paul, whom I happen to know, who was a host of one of our interns. Senator Rand Paul was running against a gentleman named Booker, and he ran the most abominable, and there's been some bad ones. Mm -hmm. We all remember the George Bush's first election with the, the chain tacked to the truck with the Texas license plate, mm -hmm. dragging a man to death, right, and this is right. what they went in. They all gonna put y'all back in chains, George. It's, it's just all this stuff. But this ad, I think, is, I think it's worse than all of them. Mm. Um, and can, can we look at that or not? Yeah, we Have can. We made a decision. Okay. Yeah, I just want to. <laughs> I just want to mention that. Um, so the the just to cue it a little bit here. It's it begins with the candidate Booker. Uh, he's running for U.S. Senate. He's an African American, and he has a noose around his neck. Now we're not advocating for that here at Truth and Liberty. He's the one using the noose to make his so-called point in this video. The pain of our past persists to this day. In Kentucky, like many states throughout the South, lynching was a tool of terror. It was used to kill hopes for freedom. It was used to kill my ancestors. Now, in a historic victory for our Commonwealth, I have become the first black Kentuckian to receive the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. My opponent, the very person who compared expanded health care to slavery. The person who said he would have opposed the Civil Rights Act. The person who single-handedly blocked an anti-lynching act from being federal law. The choice couldn't be clearer. Do we move forward together? Or do we let politicians like Rand Paul forever hold us back and drive us apart? In November, we will choose healing. We will choose Kentucky. Derek, I know you've got a lot to say about that. One thing that just jumped out at me is right there, he said, I'm the first black nominated by the Democratic Party in Kentucky. Is that an admission of racism? That they haven't nominated any blacks in a hundred and whatever, 200 years? The Democrat Party of Kentucky hasn't nominated any. Yeah. And the ad ends with, are we going to choose to end this division? Mm. 
and he, are we going to choose healing? Mm -hmm. Was that ad fostering healing? Mm. And they can't even see it. And he begins the ad with, the lynch was used to do this to my ancestors. And that's true. But that was 110 years ago. That was 60 years ago. That was 200 years ago. At what point do we say, you know, the United States of America, and I am so blessed. I am so glad that I live in the United States of America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But this country, we have Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a federal holiday, and rightfully so. We have Black History Month, and rightfully so. We have Juneteenth is now a federal holiday. We elected a black man. The majority of people who vote twice voted for a black man to be our president. During that administration, we had two consecutive black attorneys general. During the previous administration, we had two consecutive black secretaries of state, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch. We have black congressional representatives and senators from coast to coast. We have black mayors from coast to coast. Chicago has a black mayor. Atlanta has a black mayor, both female. Baltimore has a black mayor. They're from coast to coast. We now have black titans of industry. We have black millionaires. We now have black billionaires. At what point do we say America has done enough? And now it's up to the individual. It's up to me to do what I need to do to get myself and my family into the position of succeeding in this country. When do we get there? And if you ask a lot of people, the answer is never. America can never do enough. And if you ask me, I think we've arrived. I think we've arrived. And I'll sit here as living testimony to the fact that we can succeed in this country through hard work, through discipline, and through the things that you can succeed in this country. As you know, my oldest son is an Air Force pilot. My middle child graduated college in two and a half years, five semesters, and now has a job with a regional bank. And my youngest son is a senior in high school. He's going to be the valedictorian of his, of his class. He has been the senior class president for four years, and he has an academic and a athletic scholarship awaiting him to go to the Colorado School of Mines, one of the most difficult engineering schools in the country. Wow. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank That's you. Awesome. It can be done, mm -hmm. but people like that, that commercial we just saw, are so determined to hang on to 1874 and these images of nooses and what have you that they simply will not, uh, they're keeping us from succeeding more than America is keeping us from succeeding. Mm. I remember one time an article that you wrote that I read really kind of blew me away and it was about the NFL. The number of African-Americans, the average salary, and that commercial that we just watched, that was very emotional, very negative emotions in that, and it did happen. How do we overcome this? Because you've got emotion driving so much, not denying those facts, mm. but at the same time, what you just told us, and the fact we have millionaire and billionaire African-Americans, and quite honestly, I think David and Tim Barton have had the most eye-opening, insightful look at black history, and they don't skirt any issues, but there are numerous black African, I mean, uh, Americans that were black, the success, elected to office, pastored mega churches in our country in, mm -hmm. in the last couple of centuries and stuff like that. How do we overcome this barrier? That's a very difficult question to answer. I, I think politically, it is for the Republican Party to do what it has historically not done, and that is pursue the black vote at an individual level. 
You can't get the black vote. You can get a black voter. And that's not the exact same thing. However, that hasn't happened historically, and to some degree I can kind of understand it. So let's just say you're running for uh, Colorado State House. Okay. And, uh, and I'm your campaign manager. And I've got you running around, uh, we're doing in-house fundraisers and we're getting checks for $25 here and $50 there and you know, doing the things you need to do to win a, to win a race. So I've got a budget of, we've raised $22,000. Am I gonna spend 12 or 15% of it pursuing voters that I know I probably cannot get? Mm. So to some degree that makes some sense, but at some point somebody has to say yes. We are going to go start going into black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. We are going to start working with businesses to build things that make sense. Heidi Goodall actually did a pretty good job of that, for those of you here in Colorado. She mm -hmm. did a pretty good job of that. Now, she got shellacked at the, at, the, at the ballot box, but at least the process was begun. The other thing, and how we do this legislatively, I don't know, and that is the reconstruction of the family. Mm. The family is everything. Yeah. Um, we, I talked this morning in class about white privilege. The true privilege comes from family. I had tremendous privilege, but neither of my parents are white. My mother and father, the, the true privilege in this country looks like this. A child in America today who was born into a family where mother and father are together in the covenant of marriage prior to birth and who stay together until that child reaches the age of adulthood, 18 years, has less than a 3% chance of ending up in poverty or in the federal mm -hmm. prison system. Mm -hmm. It almost never happens. Mm -hmm. right. I had no chance of being in poverty practically or in prison mm -hmm. because I had a father who molded me, who tanned my hide when I had it coming, who taught me how to change a spare tire, <coughs> who took me to ball games, what have you. My children, same thing, because like reproduces like. Yeah. The problem we see in the black community, of course, is that 73% of babies born today are born to single parent households. And so what happens is mom's doing the best she can maybe working two jobs, because she's not in the home a lot, and you've got kids who have a lot of unsupervised time. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, especially in our inner cities, here's how kids are entertaining themselves, right? This is what they're doing for entertainment half the time, because mom just can't be there. She's got to put a ham on the table. And pretty soon, the neighborhood gang comes along mm -hmm. and starts providing the sense of belonging and love and the sense of family that he or she isn't getting at home and all of a sudden, the gang, uh, you know, we're going to shoplift a couple things from Walmart. And then we're going to, and, and, and so the, the, the prison pipeline gets started. And all of a sudden, you have people who are in positions where, where they're 22, 26 years old and should be starting families of their own and becoming productive members of society. Instead, they're sitting in jail hmm. because the deconstruction of the family is how this all began. Now, how we reconstruct the family, we cannot do legislatively. We can only do that spiritually. Mm. Interestingly, we've got Bishop E.W. Jackson. I would love for him to be here tonight. He's traveling right now. He's going to speak for us tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to just miss him. And the fact of it is, he was headed the wrong direction in gangs in real trouble. And mm. his mom and dad, I believe, had divorced, but his dad went and got him. And you know his story. He is a graduate of Harvard, ex-Marine. Um, he ran for, was it Senate, Congress? Uh, in, lieutenant, uh, governor. Ran, yeah, lieutenant, lieutenant Governor. Lieutenant Governor. In, yeah. in uh, Virginia. Virginia. Right. Pastor's a great <laughs> church. And uh, boy, he's cut out of the same mold as you, but it was because of the father that came back into his life. And so we've got a government that focuses on all these other things and touches emotional things and yeah. promises and develops a dependency. So what you're saying is you're reflecting back on the unit of the family yeah. and, and we've got all this appeal to the emotions 
of the African-American community. And it's obviously not a real simple, you can't just go get the vote, it's kind of like one person. Well, and it's moving the other direction in a hurry. One of the things we talked about getting to on this show is the LBGTQ agenda and how that's moving through our school system, what have you, and hopefully we'll get there. Um, but the removal of the father, whether intentional or unintentional, and some would argue it was very intentional. Um, mm -hmm. Lyndon B. Johnson and the, the Great Society and some of the Model Cities programs and telling mothers uh, the government will provide you a place to live and we'll provide you food and we'll provide you diapers, we'll do all that stuff so long as you don't have a man in the house, all that stuff. Completely deconstructed the family. So my youngest, my, my 17 year old, well now he's 18, oh my goodness, now he's 18. <laughs> uh, he came home uh, a couple of weekends ago at nearly two in the morning without permission. And I was sitting right there, just like my dad when I came home after curfew, okay? Because mm -hmm. I've told my kid, I don't, I, I'm the last one to bed. Because that's what a man does in my household, at least, is no one is in bed until I know that they're home and they're safe and everything is, and then I go to bed. No one, I, I don't go to bed before anybody. My kids need to be home. So his curfew was 11.30 and 12.30 and 1 o'clock and 1.15 and mm -hmm. all of a sudden 2 o'clock in the morning, here he comes. Where have you been? So we have that conversation and he ended up in punishment and I did some of the things to him that my dad did to me. Mm -hmm. So he's getting a framework of what it means to A, be a child in my household, to live in rules and regulations that are not negotiable. And then I've told him many occasions, and I told my other son as well, when you're the father, you do the same. No one goes to bed after you. You're the last one awake in the house every single night. I don't care. And some of those nights on prom and homecoming, you know, when they've got permission to be out until doggone close to sunrise, it gets tough, right? You're sitting there watching, uh, you know, watching the Cary Grant wow. movies and the, and the sports center loop for the 15th time, but you stay up until your kids are home. Wow. That's been lost because yeah. of the deconstruction of the family. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, Derek, how, uh, you, it's a spiritual solution. That's, that's an awesome truth. But when we uh, look into um, black churches, you can't, you can't paint with too broad of a brush here, but there are many black pastors that are also Democrats and they are not doing anything to combat that uh, unbiblical worldview. I could name names tonight on two extremely prominent black pastors yeah. uh, in this last election that supported radical leftists. Um, and uh, I'm just curious, what can we, what can the church do about this? Um, and uh, how do you see the problem there? What can the church do? I talked about this in class today, mm -hmm. and I'll give a specific example. Establish a sister church program. So here's something that any church can do. Now, if you're not a pastor or a member of the leadership of the church yourself, then you've got to work with your, your leadership. But if you're in a city where there are predominantly white churches, predominantly black churches, and sadly one of the most pathetic things about our country is the most segregated hour of the week is 10 o'clock Sunday morning. It's sad, that's just the way that it is. We don't live our lives like that Monday through Saturday. You're around people of all colors and creeds, but then on Sunday we all kind of run to our little, if the church is Asian, Pastors Asian, most yeah. of the congregation Asian. This is one of the things I appreciate about CFAN, very multicultural. Yes. But if you're in a predominantly white church or a predominantly black church, find a church that's your opposite in your city and start a sister church program. So here's what we can do. We can get with the pastors and say, who in this congregation would be willing to do this? We're starting a sister program with church XYZ on the other side of town. Are you willing to one Sunday a month, you and your family attend service over there? 
Mm. And that pastor at Church XYZ tells his congregation, we are in a relationship with Church ABC. Would you be willing to go to service at that church one Sunday a month? And now you're sitting around people and developing relationships and cross-pollinating these two church populations to the point where now it's no longer us and them, but in five years, in six years, it's now we. That's one very simple, practical way that we can start tearing down barriers between church communities who should all be singing off the same sheet anyway, because there's only one Jesus. Amen. Well, Richard, what you said on the spiritual problem, and I know we've heard this a lot. Yeah. It's a sin problem, not a skin problem. And kind of my little box that I get up on is pastors. I think we all remember the Promise Keepers movement with yeah. Coach Bill McCartney. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal movement. Started with 75 men and then it goes to stadiums. I attended some of those packed with men. There was not a football on the field. And Coach McCartney made a concerted effort to cross racial yeah, lines. Yeah, that's right. And he had African-American speakers, Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I've been to those and it was powerful. But here's the one thing, and this is not a criticism, just an observation. It never shifted the cultural needle. And so one of the things I say, and kind of my watchword and song is pastors. This country was birthed with what was called the Black Robe Regiment. Mm-hmm. Pastors, I believe, my own conviction is they carry the spiritual authority. What you just said is revolutionary. And that would take us out of our little comfort zone mm. and get us to cross barriers that would help us to understand. And I think we ought to say that we're not just blanket endorsement of Republicans. No, Honestly, not. there are some Republicans to me that are disgusting mm-hmm. because they are compromised and they're a Republican in a name only. Mm-hmm. And they're they're bought and they've been purchased, they're for sale. And so I, I hate it when people come, oh, because I got a letter one day uh, that was a real good Republican offertory you gave Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. Well, it was one I'd given for 25 years, right. Parable of the Talents. Mm. And before Obama came along, you know, when I said it, it didn't cause a stir. I said, well, as you can see here, Jesus is not a socialist because he took from the one guy that had one talent, gave it to the guy with most yeah. in the kingdom, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're not blanket endorsement of Republicans. It just so happens that platform is more closely aligned, but it goes back to that document called the Constitution that says we the people. And so we've got to get back involved. Bingo. Well, you know, there's another so-called race issue. At least the Democrats like to use uh, xenophobia, race, whatever, but it's the border. And uh, the headline today is basically that the Biden administration is not going to deport illegal immigrants. We have millions coming into this country. I view that as a dereliction of duty that's impeachable because he's charged under the Constitution to enforce the laws of the land. Mm-hmm. But what's your, what are your thoughts on that situation? To me, this is not even a delicate, a delicate topic. Yeah. Um, it's the, the, the government has a duty and a responsibility to protect the homeland. Mm-hmm. And the idea, so depending on your view of this issue tends to be the lenses. You know, we all have our self-imposed lenses and filters, yeah. right? So there are some people who view this as uh, people seeking a better life, trying to get to a country where they think they can find it. And that is a percentage of the immigrants. Mm-hmm. Some people view this as drug cartels, trying to push as much cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl into a population that can afford to buy it as possible. And that's true too. So when it comes to immigration, first of all, immigration in and of itself is not a bad thing. 
controlled immigration. We need immigration in this country. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the major textile manufacturing nations of the world, so when you walk down the aisle at Walmart and, and you're pulling stuff off the shelves that's wrapped in package for $1.19 and stuff, textiles, mm -hmm. those are China has a workforce population in the neighborhood of 1.1 billion people. India has a workforce population in the neighborhood of 1.3 billion people. We have 330 million. So if we want to maintain competitiveness on a global scale as a manufacturing entity, we need immigrants. We need more people in our labor force. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem becomes, and this is what people don't realize who don't see our point of view, is the border wall, the idea of a border barrier is not keep out. The idea of a border barrier is use the front door. Mm -hmm. And if our immigration system is broken, if it's too cumbersome, if it's too expensive, then we need to legislate, we need to make changes so people can legally immigrate here and it's not overly burdensome. But the idea of just saying you can just walk in and we don't know who you are, where you are, what you come from, where you're carrying, what language you speak, and we don't care is a recipe for chaos. Well, <laughs> reflecting back, Dave and Marion Riffle, so when Richard and I started the practical government school first year, they were, Dave was enrolled. So he became our coordinator after mm -hmm. you, Richard. Yes, and uh, he was talking about the immigration policy because it's such an emotional issue. Mm -hmm. But he brought out the fact that uh, heaven has a very strict immigration <laughs> policy <laughs> and, and it also has walls around it. And so, you know, the fact is, what I'm hearing tonight in the race issue and in immigration is really they play on emotions and we forget the law of the land. Yep. We forget our constitution, which is the supreme law of the land, and the fact we don't hold our uh, elected right. officials to the feet to the fire. And that play on emotions goes both ways. So you mentioned a minute ago there are some Republicans that you wouldn't support or that I wouldn't support on a bet. And many of them use the immigration issue as a wedge issue to motivate a hate-based group of people. I mean, that's real. We can't pretend that doesn't happen. They're saying, you know, immigrants are bad and we need to get them out of here. And if you support me, you will never let anybody into this country. We don't want to not let anybody into this country. Many, if not most of the people who immigrate here are simply looking for a better way of life. Mm -hmm. And many of them are very entrepreneurial in nature. There is a, you go to any city USA, and I know you've been around Chicago, San Francisco, yeah, you name it. You go to downtown, any city USA, and you know what you see? You see you walk down the sidewalk and they, they got Junior out front sweeping the sidewalk. Open the door, mom standing there at the hostess station seating people at the tables. Daughter is waiting on the tables. Dad's in the kitchen cooking the food. Grandpa's washing the dishes. These people are just here making it happen. Because in the United States they could do something that they could not do where they came from. They could apply for a license for a nominal amount of money rent a facility, the restaurant with six tables downstairs, and the apartment that they live in is upstairs, and they could find a way to make a better life. Nothing wrong with that. Just come through our front door and then do, do it. Do it legally. Do well, it legally. I mean, any nation is entitled to set limits on the immigration, right? We're going to, you know, you have to have these qualifications or be free of, uh, you know, communicable diseases, or we're going to allow so many people from this part of the world, so many from this part of the world, um, but the Democrats seem to just want to throw it all open and it doesn't even matter. That's not responsible. And my question is, how can anyone who truly says that they love their country support a policy like that? Uh, I, it, it's difficult to explain, not to mention that it all has to get paid for. Right. 
So people come here and if they're off books, mm -hmm. if they're illegally immigrated and they are not paying into our tax base, but they are still absorbing resources that somebody has to pay for. They're still driving on roads that have potholes and need to be fixed. They have kids are going to school with teachers who need to get paid. Yep. They get services from fire departments and what have you, municipal departments that draw salaries and those trucks need to be maintained and replaced periodically. And all the stuff that our tax dollars goes to support. Mm -hmm. If you're getting more and more and more and more people availing themselves of those services, but not paying into the revenue base, well, someone's paying for it. And next thing you turn around and say we're $29 trillion in debt, how did that happen? Well, illegal immigration is a big part of that, about that equation. Right, yeah. Uh, and you know, with the country, I mean, there are so many people discouraged right now, but actually we're in an incredible time. I never thought I would learn about revival or reformation from a historian. Mm. And I'm referencing David Barton. And the fact of it is our country's fallen asleep. We've taken so much for granted. So we are in a revival right now that we believe is leading to a reformation. And this is what David shared with us. Anytime you're dealing with that, it's going to be messy, contentious, mm -hmm. and divisive. And of course, our good friend Bill Federer, his little series called Miracles in American History, we're there. I really believe we need a miracle right now. We do. But there is a lot of good things happening. But unfortunately, it's taken these tragedies and all of this chaos to wake us up to the fact we better pay attention mm -hmm. or we're going to lose our country. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got some questions coming in. Oh, awesome. Let's take any of those. What they are. I can't think of anything I'd rather do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. So, um, one of our viewers says, why don't black Democrats speak about black on black violence? That is a tremendous question. And um, I don't have the answer to it, but it's the last year for which uh, uh, data is available, which I believe is at this point is 2020. In 2020, law enforcement in the United States of America killed 17 unarmed black men. That's it. 17 from coast to coast. I mean, as many blacks killed law enforcement. I think there's like a million or two or three million encounters, all races, right? To just give some context for that. 17. Right, it happens very, very infrequently. Yeah. But when it does happen, cities burn and people go crazy and what have you. And typically when it happens, it's because it was a white law enforcement officer who killed a black person. Mm -hmm. And when and if those law enforcement officers are in the wrong, they need to be held into, into, responsible and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And usually that happens. Used to be that wasn't the case, but I believe today it is the case. But there's a, a website, and forgive the language, but I didn't la name this website. It's called HeyJackass.com. Okay. HeyJackass.com keeps track of all the violent crime statistics in the city of Chicago, updates mm. every single week. And I mean, we're talking about 17 unarmed black men being killed by law enforcement in a year. More brothers than that are gonna get shot in Baltimore this weekend. In Chicago this weekend, I mean, it's actually a common occurrence. But why won't Democrats talk about that? Well, I think the principal reason is simply this, I tend to talk about things that are gonna help me keep my job. Mm. And if I represent a district where violent crime is out of control, why would I talk about that, right? I can't, for instance, I can't think of one reason one reason for any black in South Central Los Angeles to vote for Maxine Waters. Mm -hmm. I can't think of one. I mean, why would you continue to vote for this? Yeah. Yet, they do, 
And she never talks about black-on-black -black crime. She only talks about racism because that is an emotional trigger that motivates people to the ballot box. So why won't Democrats talk about it? Email her. When you get the answer to that question, send it to me. <laughs> but not to oversimplify it, it is a spiritual battle. And I was just talking about this Sunday that if we're going to fix the blame, it's really not the politicians or anything like that. We have to put it back to the church mm. uh, because the church is, I believe, in the lukewarm state. And that's when the Lord spoke to me. The most dangerous thing to America right now is not radical Islam, it's not the liberals, it's not the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever, it's a lukewarm church. The reason is, because I believe that's where we're at right now, and Jesus said to the Laodicean church, I want you hot or cold, but the lukewarm I will not tolerate, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So the church is going to be the one to stand in the gap, and it doesn't make sense to our natural mind. We go like, how do you keep voting for these people that are not doing any good for you? Like some of the Cook County videos that I was getting during Obama, they did not like Obama. They said, we don't, and I can't repeat a lot of what they said. Uh -huh. They said, we don't want handouts. We want opportunities. We want jobs. Yeah. So the skin color wasn't the issue for them. It was opportunity and how, and yet people would continue to vote. So we have to... And lack of a competing voice. So in those same videos, you had, and I shared, you and I watched some of them together. And people were saying, you know, we want an alternative, but I've been in this neighborhood 22 years. I've never seen a Republican. Mm. You know, if one came down here and addressed us and talked about our needs and explained his or her plans for improving our community, they could win my vote. I'm open to that, but I've never seen one. And you can't expect people to vote for you if you never ask for them to vote for you. And as a result, what we see, so to the, to the callers or the emailers question, and we talked about this last time I was on, on here, the, the black community in this country, we are so wholesaled at this point that the, the, the effort to continue to blame Republicans is ultimately, it's crumbling. The city, so city, we're an urban population, right? Blacks, we, we are clustered in our city's metropolitan centers. Yes, there are blacks in small towns and ranchers and farmers. Those numbers are so small, they're statistically insignificant. We're, we're centered in our metropolitan areas. And cities are governed by mayors and councils, mm -hmm. right? That's the, the mayor's the executive branch, the council, the legislative branch. And if you look around the country where there are significant populations of, 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 of blacks, they're all the same. Chicago, city of my birth. Mm -hmm. Black Democrat mayor, has had a Democrat mayor for over 50 years, has a 50-member city council. Today there are 46 independents, uh, 46 Democrats, four independents, zero Republicans. Wow. St. Louis, Missouri, Democrat mayor for the last 50 years, 28-member city council. Today there are 28 Democrats, zero Republicans. Both Baltimore and San Francisco have had Democrat mayors for 50 years, they both have 50 member city councils, they both currently are 15 member city councils, they both have 15 Democrats, zero Republicans. Wow. And I could keep going, they're all San Francisco has an 11 member council, 11 Democrats, zero Republicans. So it isn't just that conservatives or Republicans don't have a seat at the table and can't really influence policy in black neighborhoods, there aren't any. Literally none, zero, they do not exist. And that's not going to change unless and until Republicans backbone up and go down there and start asking for votes. Wow. That's stunning. Well, here's another question from Linda on chat. She wants to know your opinion on how to improve our schools. Good question. <laughs> Keep in mind, we've only got 10 minutes left. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a different question, but the same answer. Yeah. 
the way we improve our schools is the exact same way that we improve black communities. There is no such thing as a situation in which competition does not benefit the consumer. Mm -hmm. Competition always benefits the consumer. Yet schooling, particularly in black neighborhoods, is entirely monopolistic. Right, so the left infiltrated and took over our, our education system 50, 60 years ago, right under our noses. We didn't notice it to the point now they have erected barriers to entry, and the, particularly in inner cities, and children are doomed because of the zip code into which they were born. It's, it's really a shame, but there's so much, the iron fist of leftist control in the education system now is so firm that we almost can't get in, mm. particularly at the university level. I mean, when it comes to universities in America, you can count on pretty much one hand the ones that you can comfortably send your kids to if you're a conservative. Mm -hmm. If you are applying for a job, a professorship, or you want to become a teacher of English, math, psychiatry, engineering, whatever, at a major American university, Michigan State, University of Colorado, take your pick, Berkeley, and when they vet you, after you do well in your interview, and then when they start vetting you after your interview, they look on your social media and see that you've posted pro-Trump paraphernalia things and that you're a fundamental conservative and you've got stuff on there about Jesus Christ and you hope that the Biden administration doesn't hose the border up any worse than it is, all this type of stuff. What are your chances of being hired for that job? Mm, probably zero. Slim and none and Slim has left the building. And unfortunately, not only is that the case at the university system, increasingly it's the case at the primary and secondary education level as well. And unless and until we get some conservatives to run for school boards, and get hired as superintendents right. and get hired as principals and start breaking down this stranglehold the left has on our education system, it's gonna be very, very difficult to change. Wow, incredible. Well, Which means you, whoever emailed that in, you need to run for and get a seat on your local school board. Because I'll add this, Richard, I would argue that school board is the most important elected office in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The most important, however, it is also the office about which the populace is the most ignorant. Right, yeah. Very few, most people watching us right now, you can't name a single person on your local school board. You don't know how many people sit on your local school board. You don't know how often they get elected. You don't know what their term, how long they are in office. You don't know where they meet. Most people have no idea. And that's why and how this happened right beneath our noses 40, 50 years ago. If you go to your local leftist organization, your progressive parents organization, they know the answer to those questions. Mm -hmm. Who's on school board, when and where they meet. Mm -hmm. But the conservatives were focused on other things. Yeah. And as a result, we have lost that system completely and we've got to get it back and it starts at the school board level. And I know we're talking about things that, you know, you probably feel like you're getting depressed, but we really saw some victory. Oh yeah. 78 seats were flipped mm -hmm. and we were getting to be a part of that. Revolutionary, some superintendents were fired and removed because the scorecards, man, if I'd have brought scorecard, uh, report cards home to my mom and dad, like <laughs> our teachers in school, and there's some great teachers in there, but that system is broke. But there is hope on the horizon. Unfortunately, mm. it's just taken this horrific wake-up call for us to get involved. A lot yeah. is changing, a lot is changing fast at the school board level. We've seen some very significant successes in recent elections. And it's just a matter of returning balance. It's not that we need to throw all the bums out. We need to have some balance at our school boards. We need to have some balance in our government. Uh, you've said before, in order to fly straight, this eagle needs both a left and a right wing, because the Republicans will hose it up too. 
So we need balance. If there, in case you're wondering about Derek's sincerity, there's a little YouTube video out there that went viral last oh, year. Oh my God. Derek, I think that's on your YouTube channel. That is on my YouTube channel. So if you um, search for my name on YouTube, it's D-E-R-R-I-C-K, Derek, lots of ways to spell it. If you search for my name on YouTube, you can find it pretty easily. And that was, yeah. um, oh my goodness, that was September of 21. 21, yeah. yeah. And I recommend everybody watch it. I couldn't watch it just one time. I thought it was profound what He's you He's speaking did. at a school board that was uh, District Town. 49. Uh, yeah, District Was 49. it on CRT or was um, it on uh, Yeah, LGBT? they were con they were considering adopting a, a CRT platform and and I I I can't imagine any situation. Why would you want to tell children that you are a part of a group of people who are actively oppressing another group of people? Yeah. Or why would you want to tell children that you are a part of a group of people who are oppressed and therefore it is going to be more difficult for you to succeed? Why would you put that in children's minds? Mm -hmm. So I just got up there and I said, you know what? I'm not oppressed. Mm -hmm. And I'm not. I, I live a wonderful life. My family, I, I'm, nothing's oppressing me. Mm -hmm. And the left lost their minds. I got more, as you can imagine, the hate mail I got for saying I'm not oppressed. Yeah. Whereas if I had gotten up You're there and said, yeah. this country sucks, this country's horrible, and it's holding me back, I'd have gotten fan mail for the next week. So I had uh, E.W. Jackson on uh, a couple years ago, and, and one guy uh, who I know back home got on and commented on social media saying, well, it's just because he too is oppressed by white racism and white privilege that he doesn't even know what's right. Yeah, well, I get that all like, the time. Wow, okay. Yeah, I get, well, I get white people telling Harvard me all the time, you actually, you actually are oppressed, you just don't know it. <laughs> I, well, I, I, all the time. Okay, well, so um, um, let's see here. We, uh, we need a real board of education like paddling, what do you think? I don't know about that. I think he's asking about corporal punishment. We'll skip that one. Here's a good one though, and this is a real question. Um, uh, while on the topic of race, how happy are you about Trump having dinner with two avowed anti-Semites? Um, who are these people? I think one would be Kanye West, and the second would be um, the other guy, I don't know his name, that, that he brought with him to dinner, okay. uh, unbeknownst to Trump. Um, and um, okay. the, the news about Kanye, I'm not sure that's that old in terms of his anti-Semitic remarks. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, and I say that, I ask that question because I've been on a bit of a media fast. I, I really have been paying very little attention mm -hmm. to media for about three months. Um, and, and it's been very liberating. But uh, <laughs> a lot of family events going on and stuff. So I just said, I'm just going to get off that and get away from that. Trump is an interesting character, as we all know. Mm. Um, I personally don't endorse anti-Semitism, and I don't think anybody should, and I don't know if Trump does or does not. No, he does not. But if we're going to ask the question, how do you feel about Trump having a meal with anti-Semites, then we have to ask the question, how do you feel about Biden, or fill in the blank, having a meal with anti-whites? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people that are uh, very prominent in the Democrat Party who have made pretty clear how they feel about the white race, the Caucasian race in this country, that they are oppressors and so on and so forth. So we've got to have the yin and yang. We've got to have, we've got to have both questions need to be answered. Mm -hmm. um, my, my, my disposition uh, is this concerning racism and who's having dinner with whom and what have you. Your racism doesn't affect me. Your racism affects you. And I don't want anybody to be a racist, and I don't want to be around racists, and I don't want to spend time with racists, and I think there's a lot fewer of them than, 
the media would have us believe. They'd have us believe they're hiding behind every blade of grass. There's racism and white supremacy everywhere you go. That's not the case. But as long as a racist, as long as you do no harm to me, my property, or my family, your racism doesn't affect you, doesn't affect me, it affects you. It's a stain on your heart. It's a blackening on your spirit, and I pray that you get free from that, and you can only do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you being a racist isn't my problem, it's your problem. Mm. And hopefully Trump understands that. I don't know that he does or doesn't, but I do know this, you don't get to be a billionaire in the thugged up unionized world of New York commercial real estate development without learning how to sit down with dogs and not get up with fleas. Mm. So I think he's crazy like a fox in a lot of ways, but I'm in no position to judge the action of Donald Trump or anybody else. You know, not to over. I, can I just, I, you know, Trump has his faults, but anti-Semitism is not one of no. them. His son-in-law is Jewish. His um, uh, his his uh, longtime attorney uh, is Jewish. He we did more for the state of Israel than any president. Absolutely, it's probably ever. To make a statement. Um, like and that. they've named a street after him for crying out loud in Jerusalem. And uh, so you know, um, it's kind of ridiculous. It's to a say ludicrous that, statement. Yeah, right. But anyway, go ahead, Mark. We've got well, a minute thirty it, left. Yeah, we're winding down, but. You you know, one thing back to this thing, not to oversimplify it, but it's so simple. Paul, the apostle said, I know no man after the flesh. Mm. And the Lord gave me revelation on that. Remember, we had Dr. Ben Carson at uh, Church for All Nations, biggest crowd in our 30 year history. And he said, I have done a lot of brain surgeries. And he said, when I lift that first flap of skin, Every one of us are the same color under there. Mm -hmm. This is just like the difference between having different colored computers or iPhones. It's the operating system. It's mm -hmm. what's in there. Bingo. So it really is not a skin problem. But if they can keep us on that, yeah. then they got us and they'll play us like a fiddle for the rest of our lives. And so hopefully, guys, we are out of time. Derek. How'd that happen? Thank you <laughs> for being with us. Oh, uh, always a pleasure. This is always a blessing. It's always lively when you're around brother and uh, <laughs> what <is> we do <laughs> and we want to thank everybody for joining us tonight also we want to give a big thank you to CTN for carrying us we appreciate that so much those of you that are regulars please share the links you know the the thing that we share tonight that'll be archived you can forward that to others consider becoming a partner we are going to new levels here at Truth and Liberty. It's going to be exciting, and uh, it's exciting, Richard, just the way yes. the Lord's using Truth and Liberty. So look forward to seeing you next week at this same time. Till then, may the Lord bless you richly. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer-supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 